Welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast of Hill Country Bible Church, Georgetown. The podcast bringing you biblical messages that encourage you to put Christ at the center of everyday life. We're here to help you engage in the local church and to invite you into a life that matters through Jesus. If you have any questions about your next step, visit us online at hillcountry.life. And now for today's message. Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? You doing well this morning? Yeah, yeah, we're getting there. Okay. I want to welcome everybody here, everybody watching online. Special shout out to our campus in Giddings. My wife is there this morning. So how about a round of applause for our Giddings campus a few hours from here? All right, so I want to begin today with a question, okay? I want you to think about this. How many places of worship do you think there are in our country today? Okay, turn to the person next to you and go ahead and take a guess. How many places of worship in our country, according to the most recent surveys? Go ahead, give it a shot. Everyone's being really quiet. (laughs) Too many. (laughs) Not bad. Okay. All right. The approximate number they came up with was 380,000. All right. Some of you are feeling pretty good about yourselves. But you know what? If you are feeling pretty good about yourselves, I think you'd have to add a few more. You know, there are a number of large buildings in the greater Austin area made of glass and steel. And tomorrow morning, thousands upon thousands of people will file into those buildings. And they will sit at desks and offices or cubicles. And for some of them, they will find their ultimate sense of purpose and identity and worth there. See, they will sacrifice in that building the best of their time, their energy, their emotional well-being, maybe even their families. See, for some, that building is where they'll give their hearts. It's their place of worship, their temple. There are other buildings nearby that have large safes, and in those big vaults, they keep lots and lots of money. And for certain people, their sense of security and safety comes from knowing how much money they have in the vault in that building. And they offer sacrifices on a regular basis there in that building because for all of us, our God is what we sacrifice for. And then there are other buildings nearby where all the walls have mirrors, And the priests and priestesses dress in spandex and leotards, right? (laughs) And since it's summertime, that temple has about five times the normal amount of people in there. And certain people are driven to please that God. I mean, some even get depressed or end up with eating disorders because they've been told that what they look like is or ought to be our God. We worship appearance. You know, for other people, their temple may be a mall, a stadium, a school, a TV show. See, we are a worshiping people. We can't help it. We all treasure something above anything else. We just do. We give our devotion to somebody. We offer our sacrifices to something. We look for the good life somewhere. And in ancient Israel and in the ancient world in general, those rival gods were called idols. And people hear me on this. The gods have not gone away. They've just gotten sneaky, okay? They get us to sacrifice our lives to them without us even knowing what we're doing. And so from the get-go in this series, I want to take a look at this question. What exactly is idolatry? And how do I know what my potential idols are? Because we all have them. And then we're going to look at why does the Bible make such a big deal about idolatry? 
Like, what exactly are the costs of living an idolatrous life? You know, it's amazing to realize that the ancient world was a world like ours. And the Bible is a book full of idols. And as we begin this morning, let me just walk you through a few real quick. Baal was one of the primary idols in the Old Testament. He was the Canaanite god. The word Baal simply meant master or lord. And Baal was believed to be the one who controlled the weather. You know, he brought the rains, so he was the one who produced the crops. Ashtoreth was another. Okay, she was the goddess who was regarded as the wife of Baal. In fact, a big part of Baal worship was the practice of temple prostitution. And it was their way to try to get these two gods to provide fertility or prosperity to the people who would worship them. Another god was named Marduk. And Marduk, he was the number one leading god in the Babylonian pantheon. He was the lord over rain, over troops, over war. And interestingly enough, he was the god over accounting. Okay, I'm not making that up. They had a god of accounting. I guess every April 15th, they'd offer a cow to Marduk. I don't know. but Moloch, whew, it's another one you read about in the Old Testament, a real dark one. Infant sacrifice was connected to Moloch. Prophet Jeremiah said to Israel, they built high places to sacrifice their sons and daughters to Moloch. That really happened. And then you may remember the god Maserati, the god of speed. Anybody remember them? No, I just made that one up. But, <laughs> but if you look at the Maserati logo, its symbol is a trident from a god in Italy, or a statue of a god in Italy by the name of Neptune, calming the seas. So interesting. Idols were usually represented by statues, and they would often be very large to symbolize power, beauty, grandeur, very expensive. And typically, they would be in the form of either a human being or an animal or some combination of the two. But the people, you got to understand this, even in ancient times, the people understood, at least the smart ones did, they knew that the statue was not the real God. In fact, after they constructed a statue, they would actually have to have a kind of inauguration ceremony before it was activated. And in that ceremony, by some mystical means, its eyes might be opened, its mouth might be energized, it would be given life. You see, the statue was a way to manipulate the spiritual powers of that God to give the worshipers what they wanted, okay? And we actually read about one of these inaugural ceremonies in the Old Testament. You may remember this. Moses is up on Mount Sinai. He's getting the Ten Commandments, but he's taking a long time. It says, when the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Isn't that amazing? These people, they chose to embrace an idol because the real God was making them wait. Right? The real God was making them wait. They didn't want to have to wait. They didn't want to have to be patient. And that's the problem with the real God. The real God's timetable takes priority. And so hurry and impatience can actually incline people toward idolatry. Because with an idol... It's real important that you be the one in charge. And so Aaron, he, he takes the gold jewelry from the people. He makes a golden cap and he says this, tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. See, that was going to be the activation ceremony where that particular idol would become somehow alive, somehow active in some way, shape, or form. But what happens? 
Well, Moses, he comes down from Mount Sinai carrying the Ten Commandments. Does anybody here remember what the very first of the Ten Commandments was? You shall have no other gods before me. You shall have no other gods before me. It was the prohibition against idolatry. And here the people are breaking the very first commandment. And Moses, he sees that his brother Aaron is leading this whole parade. And so he kind of reads him the riot act. And Aaron is just a little elusive about all this. Look what Aaron says. Do not be angry, my Lord. Okay, laying it on a little thick there. Do not be angry, my Lord, Aaron answered. You know how prone these people are to evil. They said to me, make us gods who will go before us. And as for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. So I told them, whoever has any gold jewelry, take it off. Then they gave me the gold and I threw it in the fire and out came this calf. Who would have guessed? Wow. (laughs) You know what I get from this? We all want to avoid being thought of as idolaters, don't we? Now, I know when you think about idolatry, for most people, they think about bowing down to a statue. But Israel came to understand that someone who is not engaged in external idolatry can still be involved in internal idolatry. In fact, God said about the leaders of Israel, he said, these men have set up idols in their hearts. Hear me on this. The real problem isn't a statue in a temple. It's an idol in the heart. Idol and idolatry is this. It's when I take anything that isn't God and put it in the place where God belongs. Put this on your outline. Idolatry is when I look to something that does not have God's power to give me what only God has the power and authority to give. And this is where it gets tricky, people, because Satan and his demons, the ones behind the false gods of the Old Testament, they still hide behind anything that will get us to believe that there's some other power out there that can give you something. That's what they do. It's what's behind the worship of angels. It's what's behind even the worship of saints. That's idolatry. It's what's behind any spiritual experience devoid of God himself. Any spiritual experience devoid of God. Now, I think we see this plainly when it comes to false religions, when it comes to cults. But what about other things that promise to predict the future or release some kind of magical or spiritual powers like horoscopes, astrology, I don't know, wishing wells, uh, good luck charms? I mean, those are all things that promise some kind of power, some kind of insight, some kind of authority that is not connected to God himself. Now, please hear me on this. I'm not saying that if you read your fortune cookie over at Shanghai Express, which is a good place to get Chinese food, by the way, shameless plug, I'm not saying when you you read that fortune cookie, okay, you're now an idolater. Satan's got a stronghold in your life. But I am saying this. What I am saying is that if you begin to believe that maybe you can access some other kind of spirituality, some other kind of power out there that is not connected to God, and you really begin to embrace that, you could be on a slippery slope. You could be headed for trouble. And I think a lot of it depends on what's going on up here. But when you read that fortune cookie, when you toss that penny into a wishing well, whatever it may be, And just to show you that just about anything can become an idol, this is a cross. And for us as Christians, man, the cross is an incredible symbol, right? It's symbolic of Christ's sacrificial love for us, that he gave it all for us. He died for our sins on that cross. 
It's a wonderful symbol that should remind us to put our trust in God and God alone. And yet I would submit to you that it's very interesting because there are lots and lots of people who, who wear crosses or own crosses, and, and they have nothing to do with Christianity. They want nothing to do with Christ. So why do they do that? And I was talking with our missionary, Chuck Abbott, over lunch a while back, and he said that so, so many people own and wear crosses as just kind of one of many, many idols in the foreign countries where he ministers. And it's kind of like a good luck charm for them. See, they worship hundreds of different gods, and, and the cross is just like their little Jesus idol. And as I reflected on that, I walked away, and it was just a little bit later, I thought, wow, you know, before I was a Christian, I didn't grow up in a Christian home, didn't have a Christian environment. My aunt, though, she bought me a little cross. And I didn't have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, didn't understand the gospel. I just thought, well, this seems kind of cool. And I can remember times when I would wear that cross thinking, you know what, this may ward off any bad things in my life. Like, I can go out there and party, and I'll be safe, right, because I got, I got this little cross on. You see how sneaky that becomes? It's anything we can become idolatrous with. You know, Dr. Neil Anderson, he, he's a leading expert in the whole area of spiritual warfare, demonic influences in people's lives. He's written numerous books, actually started a ministry called Freedom in Christ. And he addresses ways that Satan and his demons cleverly get strongholds in our lives through borderline occult activity. Just little things that draw our trust away from God and toward something else, which is the beginning of idolatry. So I actually took a little excerpt from his Steps to Freedom book that I put at the end of your outline, and I'm just going to ask you, you go home, you pray about those things. You search your heart and say, hey, could these things maybe be leading me toward the wrong direction, toward spiritual darkness? But as for me in my house, I just steer clear of anything that promises power or spiritual insight or cosmic energy, whatever it may be. Just steer clear of that. Now, that's all idolatry that's very connected directly to spiritual powers. But unfortunately, people, idolatry does not stop there. See, part of the problem with idolatry is you can take anything that is good in and of itself, and that can become an idol. Money, work, power, even love can become an idol when you give it your full devotion, when you make it the priority of your life. The Apostle Paul described it like this. He said, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator. So in this series, I'm not asking if we have an idolatry problem. Yeah, that's just a given. The real question is, which idol is God's biggest rival in my life? And so real quick here, I just want to walk you through some common areas that can potentially become idols for you. And I put these on your outline. Take a look at this. The first one is money. You know, in the book of Colossians, Paul says this, put to death, therefore, and then he lists a whole bunch of things. And at the end, he says, greed, which is idolatry. Success, that's an idol, at least a wannabe idol. Education, like you ever hear people bragging about their education, their degrees, that could be an idol. Attractiveness, boy, <laughs> A lot of people spend a lot of money, go through a lot of pain for this one. That could become an idol. Relationships. You know, a relationship can become an idol if I put it in the wrong place in my life and there's kind of a clinging attached to it. There's an old book that's entitled, If You Can't Live Without Me, Why Aren't You Dead Yet? <laughs> 
Wouldn't that make a great country and western song? <laughs> Can't live without me. Why ain't you dead yet? When you exist for the approval of another human being, let me say that again. When you exist for the approval of another human being, what do we call that in our day? We call it codependency. The Bible calls it idolatry. See, we have all this fancy language. It really boils down to the same thing. Here's another one. How about pleasure? You know, it really is possible for a human life to be oriented around self-gratification or buzzes. And it's often a way of medicating or escaping negative, painful feelings. And avoiding problems can rule a person's life. In our day, we call that an addiction. The Bible calls it idolatry. Church is another one. (laughs) Isn't that interesting? Ironically, a church, or, or maybe your reputation for being spiritual, your reputation for knowing the Bible, that can become an idol. That was a huge problem in Jesus' day with all the religious leaders. How about one more? Work. Boy, lots of people give their lives worshiping at the altar of work. Now, at the end, I left a little blank space, and if you can think of other things that might be a potential problem that might become an idol for you, go ahead and fill that in. And then I've also given you a bit of a take-home test, some questions you can use. It's kind of a diagnostic to figure out what idol or idols are blocking your relationship with God. But over the next few weeks, what I want to do is this. I want to take a look, and we're going to do this together. We're going to look at the biggest, the biggest idols in our society today. But in the time left today, here's what I want to address. Why does the Bible make such a big deal about idolatry? Well, the very first commandment says this, you shall have no other gods before me. All right, if God's going to map out 10 commandments and that's number one, it's probably pretty important. Second commandment, no graven image. Primary text of Israel, Deuteronomy 6.4 says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And here it is, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And Jesus reinforced that, didn't he? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So why is idolatry such a big deal? Why is God so opposed to idolatry? Well, I would submit to you that it's not just because it robs God of the honor he's due. It robs God of the worship he's due. It robs God of the adoration he's due. That's part of it. But I think God hates idolatry so much because of what it does to us and what it does to those around us. It train wrecks our lives. In fact, there are three major costs of idolatry. Let me walk you through these real quick. First, idols will cost you God's purpose for your life. See, if I embrace God, then he has an agenda for me. God has a purpose for my life. And he is deeply concerned about the way I live. Like he tells me, here's what's right. Here's what's wrong. Here's what's good. Here's what's evil. Now, that's God. (laughs) But it's very interesting. The whole appeal of idolatry is the fact that an idol has no agenda for my life, right? I mean, idols not going to tell me what to do. So basically, idols were used to manipulate the spiritual powers of the gods to get good things, like good crops, fertile cattle, enough rainfall, healthy children, those kinds of things. It was all about what the worshiper could get. But let me tell you, in the ancient world, it was all separate from what is right and what is wrong. 
It had nothing to do with what is good, what is evil. Like no idol ever gave out 10 commandments. But the people of Israel, they came along and they said, no, no, no. There is one God, not many gods. And he is the maker of all that is. He is indescribably good and indescribably just and indescribably loving. Prophets like Micah would say this, with what shall I come before the Lord? With burnt offerings, with thousands of rams, shall I give my firstborn, like even infant sacrifice to get what they wanted? Micah goes on and says, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And folks, that was unprecedented, that there's one God over all the earth, and he's concerned with goodness and justice, and we're loved by him, and we're accountable to him. See, this revelation that God gave to Israel, it changed the world, historically speaking. It's called ethical monotheism, and it didn't exist prior to Israel. But what's interesting is this. In the human heart, there is a tendency to want to return to paganism. There's a desire for a spirituality that will kind of get me what I want without holding me accountable for what is good, right, holy, and just. See, an idol can't tell me my purpose because an idol didn't create me. But God created you. And you and I were created to love him, to worship him, to honor him, to follow his ways. But let me tell you, idolatry will rob you of your purpose, the whole reason God put you here on this earth. Okay, another cost of idolatry is simply this. Your idol will exhaust you. Your idol will exhaust you. Let me tell you the primary demand of most idols in our society today. Are you ready for this? (laughs) Thou shalt perform. Thou shalt perform. Like we live in this crazy culture where everybody feels this weight to perform. You feel it at work. You feel it at home, you feel it at school, like wherever you are. You know, I have to have the perfect home with the perfect decor and the perfect children who play perfect t-ball and get into perfect schools and marry perfect spouses. I have to have the perfect marriage and the perfect career and the perfect appearance, perfect volunteer involvement, perfect church participation. And if anybody, including God, thinks that I'm not perfect, then I cannot rest until I convince them that I really am. Now, one word for that is is crazy, okay? (laughs) Another is idolatry. Folks, performance will kill you. And an idol will just take more and more and more and give you less and less and less until eventually they've taken everything and given you nothing. See, no idol ever said, come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You know who said that? Wait, take a shot. This is church. Yeah. Jesus said that. But here's what's significant. He said that, he said that to people who had an idol problem, and they didn't know it. You know what? For lots of them, their idol was religious performance. Religious performance. And people just got exhausted by that. She's like, come to me. Stop trying to perform to please God. It'll kill you no matter what your God is or who your God is. Okay, that brings me to the last cost of idolatry. Idols people do not have what you need the most. 
They do not have what you need the most. Idols will cost you what you need more than anything else in life. And misplaced devotion, hear me on this, misplaced devotion will make you do crazy things. I read about a a Denver Bronco fan, and he was enjoying a game at a packed mile-high stadium, and he was way up in like the nosebleed section, way up there, and he noticed an empty seat down near the front. And you know, when you, when you do that, if you're at games, sometimes you just watch and watch and go, well, I wonder if anybody's sitting in that chair. And so after a while, he actually walked down to that front row there, and he asked the guy sitting next to say, hey, do you know whose seat this is? The guy says, yeah, it's my wife's. We haven't missed a game in 30 years, but she just passed away. And the fans like, oh, man, I'm so, I'm so sorry he offered his sympathy. He said, man, it's too bad you didn't have like a relative, friend, somebody that could take the ticket and enjoy the game. And the guy's like, oh, no, no, no. They're all at the funeral right now. <laughs> Not sure whether to laugh or cry at that one. You know, the word fan, <laughs> the word fan, it comes from the word fanatic, It's derived from two Latin words, uh, fanaticus, which means mad, crazy, and phantom, which means temple. Let me explain this. See, the priests of the Roman goddess of war, Bologna, they would gather together in the temple that was dedicated to her name. And you know what they would do? They would actually hack themselves with axes until their blood flowed out. And the purpose was to kind of incite a spirit of frenzying, aggression, violence, to help them win the battle. They would literally bleed, give their blood for their God. But their God didn't care. See, the idol doesn't care. Idolatry is a form of insanity. And there have been idols with swords, idols with shields, idols with spears, idols with hammers, tridents, helmets. There have been idols on pedestals. Idols on mountains, idols on horseback, idols on clouds, idols in shrines. But think about this. There's never been an idol on a cross. See, an idol cannot give you what you need the most. Can't do it. Now, people sometimes think that idols don't have power. Oh, they do. Idols have the power to make you throw your whole life away serving them. And We live in a spiritual universe, so it actually gets deeper beneath that surface level because Satan is the spiritual father of all lies, and he's the one behind all idols in this world. And hear me on this. What an idol does not have and cannot give you is grace. That's what you need the most. One of the most amazing speeches in human history, it was delivered by the Apostle Paul, He was in the city of Athens at a place where people would come and bring their gods from all over the world to this location known as Mars Hill, actually named after one of the gods. And they had all these shrines there, all these statues. It was just one god after another, after another, after another. And Paul observes all this, and he gets up to address the people. And this is so fascinating to me, the way he approaches this, because he doesn't just blast them. What he says is this, He says, I see that in every way you're very religious. Like he tries to make a little tie in there. I see that in every way you're very religious. You know why? Because we all are. I'm telling you, even the atheist, even the agnostic, we all worship something. Let me just read you his speech in its entirety here. 
It says, Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. Now, what you worship as something unknown, I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him, we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring... We should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. And folks, that same Jesus is still inviting people to give up your idols and and follow me. Jesus is the real deal. He alone is worthy of that kind of devotion in my life. He alone has the authority to forgive sins, to give the gift of eternal life. He alone has the wisdom to guide my life. So we're going to get freed by him from the bondage of idolatry through this series. That's what we're going to go after. Bow your heads. What we're going to do right now is is we're going to pray, and then to honor our Lord, we're going to sing a response song in light of this message to give him the worship, the adoration he is due. Heavenly Father, you know the truth about us. Uh, We live in an idol factory. Our hearts are idol factories. And it's so easy. We don't even see when it happens. But we place so many other things ahead of you. Forgive us for that, Lord, and help us to identify those things and be honest with ourselves over the next few weeks so that we might fulfill the first couple commandments to have no other God before you, nothing else that becomes an idol. So now, God, as best we can, we lay all of our would-be idols before you. We kneel at your feet. We surrender to you. We want to offer you and you alone our devotion and our adoration. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.